Hello and welcome to Rear View, the show where we get to chat to fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. Hello, I'm Andrew, and this is episode 7. For this show, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Adam Tudor Lane. Without further ado, I shall move on to our conversation where he introduces himself far better than I can. Hello and welcome to uh, Adam Tudor Lane. Thank you very much for coming on the show this evening. Uh, could you let everybody know, um, I've already said your name, so you don't know to say who you are, but uh, what you do and how you're involved in the motoring universe. Okay, um, well, I'm, I run carwitter.com. I'm also a freelance car journalist. I guess I can say that. Um, and yeah, basically, uh, I started out with Carwitter as my own sort of outlet. It kind of grew to something monstrous that it is now. Um, and it was literally just to get my uh, writing skills up and uh, try and become a fully fledged uh, automotive journalist. Very good. And uh, I think you have done quite a good job with Carwitter because um, starting from the humble beginnings of, oh, I just want to improve my writing to now a recognized online, uh, I'm, I'm very sorry to say this, but brand. Um, but, uh, but it is, isn't it? Now, I mean, you, you, uh, you guys take it, well, because there is a, a team of people now, isn't there? Yeah, so um, at the moment the team's shrunk slightly, but um, yeah, probably around about a year and a half, two years ago, yeah, there was a team of five of us, um, so three of us could cover events, which was normally pretty good, uh, because we could always get someone to something, so it started off just myself, and then uh, I opened it up and just said, look, if anyone wants an outlet to, to basically put a body of work together that then you could go to uh, like your auto cars, your parkers, something like that, say, look, I've got this body of work. This is what I've been doing for the last year or so. Um, it just gives someone like a bit of a grounding rather than someone who isn't in the industry, hasn't studied through journalism courses, anything like that, just trying to get into this such a niche and sort of closed uh, sector. It's, yeah, it was, just, it was just something to sort of help people out. So, yeah, it ended up being that there was a team of um, a couple of us, um, Ben, who used to write on the site. He now works at um, Goodwood, um, looks after all their stuff at GRRC. Um, and uh, Ethan's looking like he may be going the same way with a um, paid job as well. And I'm not saying that's the, through just writing for us, but I'd say that that definitely helped to then go to a manufacturer and say, look, this is what I've been doing. I can write about cars. Um, what are the chances of giving me a job? Yeah, because that was one of the things that I, I noticed about Carl Witter is that you're very open about saying what it can do to, if people want to contribute. And you're, you're not um, pretending anything that you don't do. Uh, I think that's very clear. And it's, it's quite refreshing because I, I think that because I am on the outside of this because I don't write or anything and I'm not trying to make it uh, my job or anything like that. You know, I'm not trying to make it my income. Mm. But um, it does seem that there are plenty of uh, outlets that will happily take... It is taking advantage of people if you're not upfront and honest about it mm. uh, and clear what it is that you are offering in exchange for. Mm. Um, and, I, and I thought that was quite refreshing to see what, what you, you uh, were making clear about Carwitter. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be for everyone. We're, we're, I've never wanted it to, I mean, I never expected it to grow to this size anyway. But um, yeah, it's there's a lot of 
there is a lot of outlets out there that um, do take on sort of unpaid work um, and they are sort of paid outlets that are getting huge sums in advertising that actually pay full-time staff. Um, so yeah, in that sense, I guess that's, that, that is wrong and morally that's wrong for, for me. But um, yeah, to actually say, look, this can possibly help you as a springboard to get into a pay position or something like that, I think that's sort of totally fair enough. And it's it kind of it's something that I like that I like about the site is that it can lead to how it's what you want to put in. If you want to come and write for the site um, and you want to do it solidly for sort of six months, then that then yeah, that's dedication on your side. But it may well help you in the future, and that's something that yeah i quite like about the site and yeah that we are open and honest about it right i, I want to take us a little step back in time and I'm, I'm i really do have to get some music for this actually i'm gonna to have to get a sound effect <laughs> but let's go back to um when you first started to get interested in cars uh do you remember remotely when that was and did anybody help you along with that interest um, it's probably going to be, I remember when I was a kid, really young, um, probably ages three or four, doing scrapbooks with um, my mum, and it was just always about cars. So I don't know whether she influenced me in that respect, but I just always remember, yeah, cutting out sort of, um, I've still got the scrapbooks somewhere, they weren't my parents, but um, so there's pictures of um, like uh, the EB110 Bugatti, things like that, and they, these were all just completely cut out of like magazines, some some of the things that were cut out or even from like the Argos catalogue, like pictures of model cars and things like that. It was just always about cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from then, I guess I remember going to, when I was quite young, probably eight or nine, I went to when the rally was the RAC rally and they'd done the stages. They'd done a stage in Scotland, stage in the UK, stage in Wales, instead of Wales now just having it all. Um, it was actually, they came to Milton Keynes, which is my hometown, and they had um, like a, a, a stopover um yeah, in Milton Keynes, I remember going down with my dad. He just said, he's like, oh, yeah, there's like rally cars like down the road. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't really know much about it. We went there and it just was incredible. I was just like, wow. It was my, it was my, my sort of open to a different form of motorsport that wasn't clinical and Formula One. It was cars absolutely filthy, mechanics like working 10 to the dozen to try and put the rear end back on an Escort Cosworth because it smashed up in the previous stage. And yeah, it just it just captured my imagination. And then from then on, um, I loved watching the World Rally Championship. Um, Colin McRae was my absolute idol when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, lucky enough to I, I was lucky enough to meet him before he sadly passed away. But um, yeah, so from then on, it was just mainly about rallying. Um, for my work experience when I was at school, um, it turned out that Hyundai World Rally Team were based in Milton Keynes, a company called Motorsport Developments. Uh, I used to run the team and prep the cars for them. Mm-hmm. So um, I contacted them and said, look, I'm coming up to my work experience. What's, what are the chances of me working um, there for two weeks? Like, I've got this massive passion for cars and in motorsport. And yeah, they came back and were like, yeah, we'd love to have you along. And that was just amazing again. I got to go around and see all the different stuff. So from the PR side of things, I then got to work with the um, guys in the sort of like the CAD CAM um, manufacturing area. We were working on um, sort of like small, I can't remember what it was. We were working on like parts of the um, body shell, parts of the roll cage, and got to spend time with the mechanics, fixing the cars when they came back from Rally Australia. And yeah, and those two weeks were just absolutely amazing. So I guess the passion has always sort of like been there, and it's always been something in the background. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I learned to drive when I was sort of like from 16. My dad took us to like a really quiet area. Um, we uh, just, but yeah, but it was on my 16th birthday that he um, showed us the basics, clutch control, stuff like that. So even then I was, yeah, it was just something that I wanted to do and he knew that. So as soon as I got to that age, it was like, right, let's start you on your road to being able to drive. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's always been there. And um, it's now that it's becoming like, hopefully becoming my career it's just yeah i would have never i've never known what i want to do in life so it's just great that it's finally becoming the actual um the money maker hopefully mm. so um when did the writing start um this is a it's a bit of a long story but um i own a peugeot 207 and i bought the car when i had to get um when i lost a company car because i was changing job so I bought this Peugeot 207, um, ended up working in this IT company. Um, the boss was just an arse. Um, it ended up, we just, didn't, yeah, we just didn't see eye to eye. So after about a month of owning this car, um, it was my first car as well. So I was 21, bought my first car with my own money. Um, a month into it, I decided that, yeah, this job just isn't working. So I ended up leaving. So, yeah, I had this lovely, nice white Peugeot 207 that I was like enamored with and I had no money to pay the loan on it and I was like great now what do I do so I ended up um I was down the um, local Peugeot garage I was buying something or other for it and the guy just happened to say um happened to say oh uh, do you know much about cars because I said I was out of job he's like do you know much about cars uh, we've got a job going here because I'm leaving and um I was like, oh, well, I'm never going to get the job. I was like, I know where things go on the car. I can tell you pretty much where most things go. Um, but, yeah, no previous experience in the field. But I applied for it anyway. Got a call from the manager the next day. Yeah, um, he, he gave me the job, basically, because I had IT skills and all the guys there were really old. Mm. Uh, and everyone that applies for the job was sort of like in their sort of like late 40s, 50s and couldn't use the, um, couldn't use the IT system, basically. So from there, I ended up... Um, joining the 207 Owners Forum, which is no longer around. Within about six months, I somehow ended up co-owning it with a guy up in Scotland. Um, I met a guy, I met a really good friend of mine now through that forum who also owned a 207 at the time. Um, we went to the French car show, things like that. So really things that you look back on are a bit cringy, but um, it was things that were all good at that time. And if I hadn't gone to them, I wouldn't have been where I am now mm. talking to you. But yeah, so anyway, um, I went on the, um, I ended up going on a Peugeot RCZ event through this guy that I met. It turns out there was an XPR for Peugeot on the event. And I said, look, it'd be really good if I could go on the launch of the 208 or if I could, well, if we could get a 208 just so I can review it for the site because I know there's people on the 207 forum who are interested in it. Mm. So um, they gave us in the contact details for, I think it might have been Craig at Peugeot. And I sent a random email saying, look, this is what I do. Any chance we could have a look over a car, get a car for a, a little while. Um, and they invited us to the launch. So, oh, yeah, cool. I was, yeah, I was just like, wow. I was like, <laughs> I've never been to a car launch before. So it was up in um, Salford at the uh, BBC studios. Mm-hmm. So I went there, um, literally had no idea what I was doing. It was a complete fish out of water. And there was all, obviously all these proper like motoring journalists there. And I was like, I'm from a 207 owners forum <laughs> and I think I was sitting at the dinner table and the guys, I think it might've been from, it might've been from Evo. It just got back from being um, at Le Mans because it happened to be Le Mans weekend. So they were chatting about that. I was just like, wow. I was like, these guys are like rock stars. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, I was sitting there and I was sitting next to a guy called Carlton, Carlton Boyce. Yes. Um, and yeah, anyway, he got chatting to me and he was like, well, how are you here? So I told him all about it and he's like, oh, it's really interesting. He's like, that, that's really good. I was in, he was saying, well, how, how are you on here and what do you do with writing and things like that? So I was just telling him, he's like, have you ever thought of being like a journalist? I was like, no. I was like, why would I? I was like, I've got like no qualifications for it. Or yeah, I was just like, where would I even start? He's like, well, there's plenty of like blogs that you could apply to and just just see if it develops into anything. Um, and it just yeah, I then pestered him for like the next 24 hours, asking him so many questions about how to be a journalist and what he looks for in a car. And yeah, he must still hate me for that. <laughs> but he's a lovely bloke, so he'll. Uh, I'm sure he he doesn't hate you for that. He's. Uh, I was on a on a. I was lucky enough to be on a launch recently, and he was there, and I was. Uh, Pleased to see him again because I've met him before. He's a he is a top chap. Yeah, definitely. And um, he just ended up saying to me, he was like, "Well, look, he's like at the end of the day, it's your opinion. He's like, as long as you're sort of like roundabout on the ball with things, he's like, it's your opinion. You can't really be wrong. So he's like, as long as you can, <laughs> as long as you can sort of string a sentence together, why not give it a go? So yeah, after that, my mind was just racing. Like, how can I do this? How can I break into something that's so tight knit and niche and when I hadn't done any car reviews before so I just thought I sort of set set about a plan and um thought of a name I it's an okay name it's not the best name in the world but the .co.uk.com was free social media was free so I was like okay well I'll go with this mm. so I set up Carwitta my first um post was about a day at Silverstone watching Blancpain Endurance racing uh, and then i contacted craig again and said craig look, i'm starting this site um any chance that you could give us something anything uh, anything would be great because at the minute i have a car review website and no cars to review <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah he took pity on me and said yeah he's like what do you want and gave us a list of cars he's like you can have two off the list i was like no way so um yeah um and then amazingly a car just ends up being delivered to my house and i'm just like this is incredible i was like how has this happened mm. um and since and after that and it just kind of grew and grew um Persia and suzuki definitely took a massive punt on me to start with because literally the site had probably six things on it when i approached either of those so yeah without the support of definitely Persia and suzuki there's no way it would have got off the ground at all i'd have still been scratching about trying to get cars from here there and everywhere and yeah, it's just it's just literally that they had the faith that they could see something was going to happen and took a punt. And yeah, it's it's just snowballed from there, really. Yeah, no, that, that it is. I've found it. I know exactly what you're saying about it. It feels very bizarre because somebody brings a car to you and you're just going, oh, 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 is that right? Is that is that <laughs> is that how it's supposed to happen? I mean, I have when people have been uh, good enough to to loan a car, I've actually written to them and go. I'm really sorry, but I have no idea how this works. What happens? <laughs> I'm really sorry. I don't, I don't want to ask a dumb question here, but what do we do? And um, yeah. it, it is it is very bizarre. And you um, and I and I totally understand what you were saying then as well. But on your first launch, you're sort of going, uh, I feel a bit of an imposter. Yeah, definitely. Because I because <laughs> the first time we met was at the Honda do a year ago now. Uh-huh. I, think, I think it was a year ago now actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know the motion podcasts have been released five episodes or something ridiculous like that by that time. Mm. I mean, we've been recording since August, but we don't re- manage to release five episodes. 
Yeah. And you're sitting there with all these people and you're sort of going, oh, I know you off Twitter, I know you off Twitter, I know you, <laughs> and I, I really, sh- should I be, I'm, well, okay, I'm here, I'm going to have fun, but um, no, it is, it is, it is amazing because I've, uh, I've heard, uh, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've heard tales of some of the more um, experienced and older journalists, particularly traditional journalists, mm. not being as open and friendly to the more, well, the online side of um, car reporting mm. and car discussions. Um, I don't have you ever come across that? Yeah, yeah, I have quite a few times on launches. Um, yeah, a guy who's pretty well known. Um, I went up to introduce myself to him, and he's like, "Oh, another dot com, I see," and just turned his turned and walked away. I was just like, "Wow." Oh. Um, yeah, thought quite a few expletives, and then <laughs> thought, "I never want to talk to you ever again." <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm. Um, also lucky enough to be a member of the Midland Group of Motor and Writers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the youngest in that group, and it was quite difficult to... There were people in the group. Um, it was only a very small amount, but there were people in the group that saw me as, yeah, an imposter because I didn't have a print outlet. Um, I was purely online. And funnily enough, it was one of the younger guys that really took offence to me. Um, he basically, yeah, came out and said, "Oh, I don't think someone who sta- who stacks shelves in a supermarket uh, yet has access to press cars should be in a group like ours." Well, yeah, firstly, I don't stack shelves in a supermarket, and why? Because you've got a print outlet. Should I be seen different? Mm. I'm producing content daily, and yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was difficult, and there were people that voted um, for me not to be in the group, a small majority, but. I mean, since then, um, Phil Huff joined, and Phil primarily when he joined was online stuff. A lot, of, predominantly, stuff's online, and I think it's just, I think, yeah, it, there are a lot of people that I that give blogs and online art, outlets a bad name because they show up, they want everything, and within six months, within a year, they're gone. And that's one thing that I never ever wanted to happen with Coeta. It's always been about consistency and making sure that. When a manufacturer invests that time and money in giving us a car, we do the absolute best we can to get their money's worth and the content back for that transaction, basically. And yeah, but yeah, I mean, I'm digressing a bit, but yeah, no, I have definitely um, experienced that. And it's a shame, but it's like with anything, when when things change in an industry, there's always going to be people that are scared of the change and that's all it really is yeah i I think i agree with you though i think that's what it is it is uh, a change and they are unsure how they fit into the change Mm. and whether Mm. they actually fit into the change Um, and that's scary particularly if that has been your income and that has been how you have made your living um Mm -hmm. Uh, again, Phil is another one who's been very uh, supportive of me and supportive of the um, of the Motion Podcast as well. He's always been open to answering questions and chatting and stuff like that. And you know, he's a, and he, and um, you'll have heard the episode with uh, Mr. Johnny the Edge on. And um, <laughs> you know, the, it, there's an example of Phil giving people uh, a little bit of a leg up as well, in a way of uh, offering the opportunity to write for him and stuff. So, yeah, uh, I. I, I th- I for me it it really depends on the quality. Mm, yeah, definitely. I think that's the key is and it may not be the the quality of the execution but if you can see that people are trying to 
put the effort in and are trying to get better, I think that deserves a bit of uh, a bit of leeway and a bit of support on yeah. whoever you are because it, it it's the it's the poor writing it's the poor um video making it's poor podcast you know it's, whatever it is if it's poor mm. and it's slapdash and effort hasn't been put in that does us all a harm i think definitely we're, yeah we're trying to you know get the message out and get it across so mm. yeah yeah i totally agree it's yeah uh, i mean with anything in life effort should be praised and no matter if it's if you're just putting things out there sort of for free or anything like that it's your own sort of self-development in a way and yeah i totally agree mm. um so, so you you run the site and there's there's three of you at the moment is there on the site currently yeah there is um do you edit the content um yes so uh tom who does the uh, motorsport side of things looks after the touring car world uh yeah british touring car world touring car all bits like that um he'll submit the he'll put the article on the site i then get an email saying there's an article ready or tom will just drop us a text say the yeah roundup for the touring cars is done i'll log on go through it all make any changes that I see that there sh- should be made. Um, and, yeah, then I'll, I'll actually press the final button and get it online. And um, the same with Emma. Emma looks after our Formula E coverage, and she's also doing uh, news when I can't. So, yeah, exactly the same thing happens. So I'll go through and edit. Um, but, yeah, it's very it's always very minor stuff. Okay. So when, when you're editing, are you – I mean, these are people that sound like they've worked with you for a, a while now, so they're – comfortable at understanding what you expect but what are you looking uh, for when you're editing yeah they've yeah they've both been with the site for uh probably three years i would have thought so um yeah i'll, I'll it's mainly just turn a phrase um occasional punctuations basic stuff I, I i never really rewrite whole great sections unless i think yeah that sounds a bit sort of clunky or anything like that so it tends to be that, yeah, they, they know the style of writing, what works, um, and, yeah, they just go with it. So it's all really sort of minor stuff I ever have to do in regards to their content, which is great. Do you um, monitor analytics heavily to help, um, or have done in the past to help tweak the way that you, or tweak what you produce? Or is it just more of a... I think this is what we need, how we need to say things. Yeah. So uh, that was how, that was how I've always done it. So we tried for, I think last year we did the um, touring car roundup instead of it actually being a written roundup. We did it lap by lap, um, which was something different, something just to try to see whether we're sort of like faster paced. It wasn't like literally lap by lap. That'd be really tedious, (laughs) (laughs) but it was, it was, it was when things happened. So it'd be like, lap two lap 10 whatever um so yeah i've always gone down the route of okay let's try this let's see what happens but recently um i've started looking more at maybe things that would help to get uh that would that would rank higher in google or that would get better engagement i very much started to look at it in a sort of business sense and much more grand uh, yeah more granular basically to see if there's gaps that other people aren't filling, think ways that we could be slightly different. And I think it's just all about sort of progression. I mean, we're, the way the site is at the minute, we're trying to, I think we're trying to compete with 
people that have been around for a long time. So I'd like to think we're capable of competing with the likes of Auto Express in terms of content and quality and um, the bigger outlets, really. I know we don't we don't in that respect because they take all the market, but I like to think that we would be able to that we can sort of stand toe to toe in that sense. Our imagery is good, all things like that. The presentation of the site is good. So yeah, I've started to try and work out ways that um, like more more like niches of how things yeah niches of uh, rambling on, but <laughs> I'm trying no, to find no, no, them. No, no, this is this is interesting because. Uh, um, what you're talking about is the continuous development of Carwitter, and and you are looking now. Um, and again, I'm going to go cliche world, but you know, the next stage. Um, but it, it's it's, <laughs> it's that next development, isn't it? It's the, you you feel it's well. It sounds to me, um, and I'm from what I've read on the site when I visited and things when you've posted uh, articles uh, on Twitter and stuff, and I've clicked through, is that you've got comfortable with your base now and now you're mm. looking um for what you as you were saying there before what you can do that's that's slightly different what what makes car witter unique what is the what is car witter as it were almost yeah it's, it's something that i should have probably done a year ago because um hits and sort of follower wise it's very it's very static and it should be upward um, so yeah, it's something I should have looked at before, but it's, it's because it's a small outlet, we can do things a lot quicker than huge, great companies can. So in that sense, that's in our favor. And yeah, it's definitely, we need to differentiate what we do compared to the bigger players, because we're never going to be able to compete in terms of the auto cars, the auto expresses on the sense that they can cover absolutely everything. They've got people sitting, waiting to write news instantly. We're never going to be able to do that. So we need to do something that makes us different and um, appealing to a different type of audience in, a, in another way. So something that the bigger players aren't doing, but it's so difficult to find that niche. Um, it's just trial and error, basically. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, first of all, you've got to be comfortable with it. Mm. Before you think about the uh, whoever's visiting, You've mm. you've got to be comfortable that you can do this, and it's something you want to do, and then so that so that even narrows it, everything down further. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's yeah, and there's so much planning that goes into everything. If you want to try just one thing, there's so much planning and thought that has to go into the development of it, and you may do it for a while, and it may not sort of take, and then you're thinking of the next thing, and yeah, it's just sort of continuous. Yeah, yeah, no, because uh, Alan and I. Um, are, are constantly talking in the background about things we want to improve, things we want to tweak, change. Um, you know, this this podcast is one of those things that um, you know after we've done a year that we felt comfortable that we could we could consistently produce a, a, a decent weekly show on mm. the news and our opinions. Then it was right. There's other things we always said we wanted to do, and and this this the rear view was one of those things, and it's how we are looking at changing and doing other things uh, on the motion podcast as well. Uh, but as you, uh, so I completely know what you're talking about, that it, it looks far easier on the other side mm. when it, when it's yeah. produced and people sort of go, well, why did you wait so long for that? Well, actually <laughs> what it means is <laughs> you, you don't see the six hours before to get to this 30 minute thing <laughs> or mm. whatever. So, um, so yeah, no, I understand that. 
Mm. Right, I'd like to ask you about your car history. Okay, the very first... I learned to drive in a Mini Cooper. It was dark blue, white roof, Union Jacks. That was the learner car that I had. Um, after... <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, uh, yeah, it didn't have any um, driving... Yeah, company's name slapped all over it. It was literally just like a, a just an average Mini Cooper with a nail plate on. Um, and that's how the guy done it. Um, Sid was my driving instructor. So, yeah, after that, um, I passed my test. And then I went to driving my dad's Renault Scenic. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yep. So that was a 2002. The registration was GNO2RYU. That was a 1.6 Renault Scenic. And, yeah, I was in sick form at the time. So everyone was getting their cool little cars, their little courses. And then I'd rock up in a scenic. <laughs> but I can take all of you. See, this is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, that, it was, I was trying to sell them on the spaciousness of it and how big the windows are and stuff. But, oh, but look yeah. at all the cup holders. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was such a cool kid at that time. <laughs> um, yeah, I never, I didn't end up having my own car until 21, which was the 207. But um, before that... So after the Scenic, I then was allowed, mum bought a brand new set Ibiza. That was in 2005. And they ended up going travelling abroad for sort of nine months. And I was given custody of the Ibiza. And within a week, I parked it on my then girlfriend's drive. And someone drove right down the side of this brand new car. And <laughs> I was like, oh, God. Because <laughs> no matter yeah. what I say now, they won't believe me. I know, exactly. <laughs> it was just horrible. Um, and yeah, after that, I was lucky enough to get a job in Luton, which had a company car with it. So at 19, um, oh, before that, I had company vehicles with British Telecom, so I was always driving around in my little BT van. Um, and then after that was the job in Luton. So at 19, yeah, I was given a uh, probably like a four-month-old 1.9 uh, Vauxhall Vectra SRI so I thought I was like lucky you yeah I was like the jammiest person alive I thought I was so cool in that car um, <laughs> again going back to the spaciousness yeah I know <laughs> but um, yeah I had that for a couple of years and then yeah ended up switching job bought the 207 which I still absolutely love to this day so everyone thinks why um I, I think it's because it, it it got me to where I am. So if I hadn't have bought that exact... I was looking at getting a uh, Fiesta Zetec. I couldn't find a nice... I always... Cars have to be white. I can't have my own personal car. It has to be white. I don't know why. I just love white. white. And oh, Yeah, dear. cars have got to be white. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think this will be a conversation that you and I will have to have whenever we meet up next over a beer or, or four. Yeah, that's fine. We can I, I, do that because you know, I mean, you're entitled to your opinion. I mean, you're wrong, but you're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> I like, I like the primer look. <laughs> Grey, then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it could be. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, well, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that car. So, I was looking at getting a Fiesta Zetec, but they were few and far between in white at that time. Um, and yeah, it just turns out that I got that car. I kept with it. My mum told me to sell the 207 as soon as I like, as soon as I quit that job and had no money. She's like, sell the car, just pay the loan back straight straight away. I was like, no. I was like, it's my car. It's my first car. I'm 21. 
I've been driving all this time. This is my first car that I bought with, well, not with my money, with the bank's money, but it's in my name. (laughs) Some money that had something to do with me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Money I was paying monthly for. (laughs) So, um, So yeah. Is it fun to drive, then? Yeah, oh, yeah, no, I love it. I've still got it. I I absolutely love it. Um, It's not the greatest car handling-wise. It's quick. I, I think it's quick. Um, it's 1.6 turbo. Um, it's been tweaked, so it's got about 200 brake. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's got about 200 brake horsepower, so it's nippy. Oh yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, no, I just absolutely love it, and I can't. I'm never going to part with it. I jokingly chat with my mate um, who runs a Peugeot Instagram page. He just loves his Peugeots. I jokingly chat with him that I'm going to write. I'm going to put it in my will that I'm going to leave it to Peugeot UK. <laughs> I just, yeah, I can't get rid of it because if it wasn't for that car, I wouldn't be here talking to you. I wouldn't have the site. Uh, yeah, it just, I, it, it can all be pinned back to that, um, which I think is really good. And yeah, I just, it's so sentimental to me. I can't get rid of it. I, it stays parked up. It stays sawn for probably six months of the year um, because, yeah, I now own a Renault Clio Trophy, and a 106 GTI as well. <laughs> I just keep buying French I'm sensing, cars. yes, I was going to say, I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> I honestly don't have any affiliation to Peugeot, but I always wanted a 106 GTI, and then when I, when I met Ethan a few years ago, um, he was chatting to me that he wanted a Clio 182, and he's like, yeah, he's like, the trophies are awesome. And then I started looking at him, and I was like, hey, that wouldn't be a bad investment. If I could get one that was all right and just keep it in good nick mm. keep the miles though that i think will be a good investment so i ended up doing it um probably two years ago um so yeah i've got three cars and most of the time i drive press cars or i still have a nine to five as well as doing the site um so i'm all either driving press cars or a work van so none of my cars get driven it's pointless having them really excellent i mean it seems very sensible you sound actually to be fair you do sound um from that point of view a typical motoring journalist yeah uh, it seems like every load of cars that you don't drive because you are driving (laughs) something else all the time i know like i remember when i was chatting to phil ages ago he had about seven or eight cars that were like scattered around his village i, I, I thought that I, I could swear that his front garden was actually a showroom you know it's a show full court <laughs> because he's, he's got that many or did have <laughs> yeah so um so yeah that's that's my car history um up to up to the point now but yeah i can never sell a 207 it's just yeah i'll always keep that no matter what i do um the the trophy will go at some point i'm just custodian of that and again the 106 it's had three owners since new. The mileage is about 90,000, but it's completely unmolested. And again, that will probably be a little bit of an investment that I'll sell when I decide to buy my next main car myself. So, yeah, I'm just custodian of those two. Mm-hmm. Not the same emotional attachment. No, no, they, they are awesome cars. I would be really sad to see them go. Um, but yeah, no, I could definitely get rid of those. There's more out there to have. Yeah. Excellent. So, um, I want to want to come back to Car Witter because, uh, like I said, I'm intrigued in in um, the model that you have for this. What prompted you to open it up to others, or did did people approach you? 
Um, it was it was the fact that when I started out, uh, I was like, well, if I can get if I I've got these two cars from Peugeot, and I was like, okay, well, this is a great start. I've got two cars, but I can't just have a website that has one car on it a month. No one's going to visit it. Mm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, there's just uh, yeah. So that dawned on me pretty quick. Um, then I was like, well, I need to start writing the news. Uh, so for pretty much the first year, I'd go to work, I'd come home, probably spend an hour and a half, two hours sifting through the news, writing bits up that I needed. I'd do probably two, three news stories a night. Um, but yeah, pretty much pretty much a year. And then I just thought that there's probably other people that are in the same sort of situation as me that want to break into the industry that would would like to do this and could help out. So it was it was... In that respect, it was, well, I, I the site was still very much in its infancy, but I thought if we could get a group of like-minded people together that had spare time, that wanted to break into the industry at some point in the future, that, yeah, if we could get, if we get a group of people together like that, it could really go somewhere. So I think, I can't even remember how I advertised or how I put it out there. But yeah, I did. And people do still contact the site and say, are you looking for anyone? Can I write for you? And I remember um, uh, Ethan contacting me um, regarding writing for it. And the email he just wrote to me was just incredible. I just read it. And I think he was like 18, maybe 18, 19 at the time. I just read it. I was like, wow. I was like, I would love to be able to write like that. I was like, I've got to have him write. No, not someone that young with talent. There's no need for that. I know exactly, and yeah, I always say I always say that he's going to destined to really good things, and I so hope he is. But um, yeah, so it just developed from the need of needing to progress the site, thinking that other people were in the same boat as me, and I just put it out there, and it turns out that yeah, I've got a handful of people. Some people didn't work out. I had a guy uh, probably about two years ago. He said that he wanted to try on the site. He was an older guy. I thought, oh, that sounds great. He was on the site for probably a week. Wrote two three news articles i then get a phone call from land rover saying that he's asked for a car from them in the site's name and do i know anything about it because i had that car like a month ago and i'm like i know nothing about this Mm. (laughs) so yeah it's it's difficult because you want to open it up but again you've got to protect the brand and the site as well so that's the challenge going forward but yes it was just purely purely to sort of help others and grow the site. Mm. No, well, I think, I think that's um, certainly worked. And particularly if people are, um, as you said earlier, they're not necessarily purely on the back of being on car Witter, but they're moving on to paid gigs. Um, you would have, your site would have contributed to that in, in, in a good way. So that, that's, um, that, that's really interesting to hear because, and this is a bit of a crystal ball moment, but, what do you see as the future for motoring, journalism, writing, content? I don't know. It's really difficult because... I mean, and by it's... the way, if, if we come up with a great answer here, we will go and sell this to everybody and relax on gold yachts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just cut this bit out of the podcast. Yes, this will be edited. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's so difficult because what I'm not what I'm trying to do, but what I do with the site in saying that people can write on here and get a body of work together, things like that, that can be seen as quite divisive because people are doing it for free. Mm. 
and I've had backlash in the past from people saying that um, and people thinking that the site is a big outlet that is with the likes of the big players that is making money and we're asking people to write for free. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's very difficult to know where it's going. But, I mean, it's, it's so difficult. I mean, if the newspapers can't monetize online, how can anyone else? The biggest publishing acts in the country and they can't find a way to monetize online content apart from paywalls and paywalls just don't work. I, I so think that from th- that point of view, it depends on your expectations. Okay. I think, um, I think it can be monetized, but say a large, uh, national newspaper, what mm. they need to monetize is massively much more significant than what say you or I would need to monetize. Hmm. Um, because of the number of people and the infrastructure they have and all the rest of it, you know, it, the, the digital age, um, and I, I will go and hit myself later for saying phrases like that. Um, the, the, <laughs> the digital age though has, it, it's been wonderful because it has opened it up to everybody and allowed people who are prepared to put the effort in the opportunity to have, um, to be to be seen and to be able to share their interests and passions with people, mm. but equally it has allowed anybody to be able to share <laughs> these. And some yeah. people should, you know, some people are not, um, you know, whatever. Maybe it's the medium isn't right for them, or maybe uh, you know how they project it isn't right. So yeah. it, it is. I think it is kind of. It, it really is a, an expectation thing. If you're if you're going out and you say I must earn. X a month, and um, that that has to happen. Then that's much harder than if it, that isn't critical to you initially, and then you are looking to build that on after. Mm. Um, once you have got a, a body of work behind you and things like that, or you actually see, well, this isn't the way for it to go. This isn't working for me personally. Maybe we need to just change it. Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's where the the, the, the problem is. And uh, I mean, because anyone who runs a, a, a car magazine at the minute, I don't know how they do it. No, I really yeah. don't. It must be one of the, it must be so stressful. Um, it's just it's just the amount of staff they have, the amount of yeah, the outgoings and trying to find the money coming in to just balance that. It must be a nightmare trying to do it month by month. Yeah, I mean, you talked about it before and saying you mentioned you know people have. Uh, had a go at you for seemingly taking only taking off people uh, yeah. because the perception is that you know you've you've earning lots of cash and then you're saying to people you know in a Huffington Post type way oh we never pay for people but we'll mm. we'll happily take lots of money um, but do you see uh, do you think it is a, a major problem that people do produce stuff for free or do you think we as the online world have just not found the right way in which to earn to encourage uh readers listeners watchers to pay for something whatever the thing is whether it's a subscription or you know advertising or whatever yeah it's really difficult because um yeah, I mean, you've got things like because um, you said before pay- the paywall isn't working, and that, and it and it doesn't generally. No, because you can find so much for free. I mean, it's 
it, it would be interesting to see how Top Gear or Evo or publications like that do with their online subscriptions. It would be interesting to see how that works for them. But the, but we in this corner of the internet, it is very niche. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's a problem with producing content for for free in certain senses that if you're developing your writing, obviously feet under the table is always going to help you in that sense. Mm. So, yeah, it... it depends in the way i mean it depends in the way you do it i mean yeah we put stuff out there um and it and it is free like the website's free but it's it, it just varies how you look at it i mean there's i know that there's um there's a lot of journalists that'll be like no i'm not doing that because it's not paid but if it will give you an opening into possibly getting something paid or a relationship with a outlet that will gain you that work I'm all for doing that. If it's going to, if it's going to be a short-term thing that can that can help you develop you, get you into the scenario where you are being paid, eventually, then yeah, I think there's not an issue with that. I think there's an issue with people producing free, low-quality work, um, as you were saying earlier about quality. Um, I think there's definitely an issue with that. But yeah, overall, it's a balancing act, and it's down to your own morals really but in that sense yeah i i'd be okay with that as long as it's developing you or it's leading to something in the future i've got no issue with that you what you're saying there then is that as long as you can see a positive outcome a positive progression whether that's monetarily in you know a set time or whether that is to work on a certain skill or whether that is you know something like that or whether it is um and i don't like using exposure because i don't I, I, I really don't no I really don't because I, I there's there are so many there's so many outlets that use that and think that's acceptable mm. when as, as as you said when they get paid yeah yeah I mean well in the free sense if you started up your own personal blog to write about cars then that's going to be unpaid so in that i can't see that i would little or be against anyone doing that because it's an own passion and yeah they're doing it completely free so yeah. in that sense i'm nothing against that but yeah if, if if like for a big outlet wanted to replace a news writer with user-driven content then yeah i see that that has been that that's wrong mm. But again, it's down to your own morals and how you see it. But yeah, if if you're going and doing something for free and it's going to lead to money or lead to a paid position somewhere, yeah, I think you might as well do it. Obviously, don't do it forever. Don't do it for years on end because that'd be ridiculous. Yeah. But if if a few pieces of content are going to get you noticed and are going to get people thinking, ah, maybe we should actually start paying them or maybe we should bring them on board, yeah, you might as well. You've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Where do you see Carl Witter in five years? Oh, I don't know because when I started, I never saw it getting to where it is now after four. But this is <laughs> you should have a grand plan. You should be sitting at home every night, you know, on a large swivel chair with a white cat on your lap, going. You know. <laughs> um, I I just want to keep growing it. I mean, eventually it would. I okay. Then. Be All right, sorry. That's that's wrong. What would be the ideal outcome for you? Um, I would like to keep doing. I don't want to I would never have a pay position at any outlet because I just couldn't go 
from being my own boss, doing exactly what I want to do, to being told what what I'm going to do, what car I'm going to test this week, what shots need to be taken. I just couldn't do it. So I'm always going to stick with this. It's going to grow and develop. My freelance writing is going to be in the background um, and build that up a bit more. But hopefully with Kawita, um, one day I'd love to see us being able to have an office, uh, maybe a car throttle-esque office, and one or two employees. I mean, I'd love to employ um, some of the guys that have written for us in the past. It would be awesome to be able to bring them back on. Mm. Uh, yeah, grand scheme of things, small little office. Um, but we've got, we've got, we need to find we need to find a different avenue and we need to find our feet in a different manner to gain traction to be able to do that. But yeah, hopefully that 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 would be the ideal thing in in years to come. So does that involve? Do you think uh, different mediums or? just a different way of presenting what you what you guys do it's it's probably not new mediums because there's so many people that jump on the new mediums um and do it well it's like video we've never massively done video reviews because there's so many people that do video reviews standing by a car inside a car talking about a car there's just so many why would you want to compete with Auto Car, Auto Express, all the people like that that do it really well. There's just no point. And, and it's, it's blooming scary and hard. <laughs> <laughs> Having tried. <laughs> yeah, see, I've, I, I can, I, the first vlog I ever done, I've done a vlog of the 106, and oh my God, I was just like, oh, this is so cringy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think it's finding different ways of doing things with the existing mediums. So... At the minute, we're brainstorming to try and think of different ways of reviewing a car on top of what we already do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's just finding different ways of doing it with the mediums that are already there. And obviously, if a new social platform or something came out, being first always helps. It always gives you the advantage. You've got to find a way of doing it well. You can't just start pushing the same content to a different platform. No, because we, we, we see that being done now and it just falls flat on its face, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just duplicating what you're doing. You're not innovating or doing it in a different way. But yeah, I mean, we we've not openly done anything public facing yet that is rapidly different on the site. Or yeah, so it's things that have been worked on in the background. But it's just finding the right things to really dedicate time to that you think have got a good chance. Well, being being um, reporting on Formula E, I think, is a well, particularly this week, is a uh, <laughs> is is an interesting move. I mean, you know that that's our motorsport of choice um, yeah. on the show. Uh, so, uh, and I think that is only going to get bigger. And I and I think it is such a it's such a different way of it being done. Mm. because it's yeah. not trying to compete with anyone else, but it, it's being done thinking about the fans. Yeah, which is an yeah, interesting but... tactic to go from that f- almost first. Mm, definitely, because I think well, when you look at the likes of Formula One and stuff like that, the fans are so out of out of touch compared to the drivers and the teams and everything else. It's so us and them um, in that respect. And there's so much. The, it, Formula One fans are there for so much of the history rather than the now. Oh, I totally agree. I've yeah, I remember watching Formula One when I was younger when it was Schumacher and Hakkinen, and that's after that. Yeah, I I can't stand Formula One at all. But I think what they're doing with Formula E is a lot better because obviously, yeah, they are involving the fans with the fan boost and all things like that. And it seems very much it has the feel of 
sort of like British, British touring car and much lower leagues in the way that they are trying to bring the fans along for the well, journey. The drivers appear pleased to be there. Yeah. Which I think no, it's a big a, difference. Well, <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, again, at that Honda thing, we were lucky enough to meet uh, Matt Neal and uh, Gordon Shedden, and they, uh-huh. they, they were genuinely pleased to... Or at least they were incredibly good actors, but they they seemed <laughs> genuinely pleased to just chat to you. Mm, um, yeah, definitely. And and that was refreshing. Yeah, they're so they're so down to earth. Those guys. I remember when um, I was on the Civic Type R launch and we were in Slovakia. Um, they were driving us around the track um, to sh- show us. They were like dueling around the track to show us what they could do, what the cars could do, and what they could do. Mm. And then um, at the end of the day, um, they get on the same bus as us. <laughs> I'm sitting across like the road from them. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, would you really see Hamilton sitting across? Ex- in a- exactly. And and uh, you know, again, I mean, I go back to it, but that that Honda do, and you know, I'm having a beer with Matt Neal, and we're talking about stuff. Yeah. And I just, I'm just thinking. I don't want to, you know, be a bit weird and go up to him and just start chatting. And he's like, oh, no, come and have a seat and talk. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. Then. You know, because, you know, this is, okay, it's, you know, part of what he does, but you don't want to uh, inflict yourself on these people, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always think that um, from seeing how sort of racing drivers are and stuff in the past, I always see that they must absolutely hate the PR stuff. But um, no, I've spoken to Matt Neal about it. I was like, look, do you really like enjoy stuff like this? He's like, yeah, he's like, I love it. He's like, it's just part of the job. And he's like, it's really good to actually meet people like yourself. And yeah, the, the guys love it. Mm. So Yeah. Okay, um, I'm going to move us on now to the quickfire questions. Okay. So uh, this is the part of the show where I am not supposed to make any comments. And I will ask the question... You will answer, and I will move straight on to the next question. Otherwise, uh, and otherwise, I will take up all your night, and I would like to respect your or pretend to respect your time. Um, <laughs> so, I will start with the first one, uh, which is: What currently excites you about the motoring world? This is a really random one, but engines becoming bigger again. Um, I can't stand like crappy one-liter EcoTech engines because. Yeah, why would you put a tiny three-cylinder one-liter in a Focus? You just have to thrash the nuts off it to get it to go anywhere. And can you really see that tiny A4 piece of paper engine lasting 120,000 miles? So, yeah, the the news the other day that um, manufacturers are going bigger again due to false MP, or false um, yeah, emissions claims, yeah, I think that's great. I think I think Mazda have always had it. Right, and I know that this is Mazda speak, but they say that their engines are right sizing. So yeah, I'm selling the Mazda dream there. But, um... <laughs> well, you've you've listened to the show. It's not like <laughs> one half of the motoring podcast doesn't promote Mazda. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. <laughs> but um, yeah, Mazda have been putting the two liter petrol engine in the Mazda three, and it's it's just got the it's it's down tuned, but it's got the capacity there, and. I, that just makes complete total sense. What Mazda have done in making the emissions cleaner of larger engines is what needs to happen throughout the industry. Downsizing is just a crap fix that, yeah, people are now cottoning on onto. So, yeah, engines becoming bigger is a good thing. Okay. And what worries you? Um, I hate false MPG claims, so that really annoys me, um, and I hate that because... 
I mean, like, I drove a, uh, what was it, BMW 3 Series plug-in hybrid, and because it's a plug-in hybrid, it has MPG figures of, like, 156. Mm. Well, I was driving it around, and, yeah, I know the I saved a few miles here and there with the hybridness, but on the petrol engine, I was getting, like, 31 miles per gallon. Mm. So I think that manufacturers use that very much to sell cars, and they use the the combined figure when really they should be using the urban figure and probably minus in two. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, the sort of lies to customers and I mean, Dieselgate kind of like started it all, but I think, yeah, definitely false MPG figures. I know the real world testing's coming in and that can't really come sooner enough. Yeah. Uh, what's been, and uh, having seen what you have been driving recently, what has been your favorite car to drive and why? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is probably going to be a random one, but before that, before I drove this car, I always loved the Nissan GTR, and that was my ultimate car. Mm-hmm. But I've driven quite a few of those on track, and I've now seen the light kind of thing. And it may not be, yeah, something that you'd think of, but a basic spec Porsche Cayman, the 918, um, 2.7 flat litre, 2.7 litre flat six. Um, it had 270 brake, it weighed 1,300 and something, done 0 60 and 5.5, but the balance of it, it was just the ultimate driving car for handling, for performance, it wasn't too much for the road, you could just get the most out of it, and it, yeah, the, just the balance of it was incredible, it was just spot on. But since driving that, that's, yeah, it's just the ultimate car handling-wise. Well, I think, uh, I've said it before, but I think that's their best-looking car in the range at the moment. Yeah, agreed. Um, I mean, I've not driven the latest one with the turbo four-cylinder, but yeah, that was it was just spot on. It was perfect in every way, and it, it's not got crazy horsepower. It's not got yeah McLaren levels of power or anything like that. But you don't need it for everyday driving to just enjoy the car and to get the most out of the road. It was perfect. So, what has been your least favorite car to drive, and why? Um, I struggle to think of this. Um, I mean, a lot of manufacturers don't make bad cars now. It's not like the 70s and 80s where there was like absolute dogs with cars. But um, I think Vauxhall have some answering to do about the one litre engines that they put in the Adam and the Corsa. Mm-hmm. Um, I've driven, yeah, the one litre and the 1.2, non-turbo form. I think I drove an Adam at SMMT like the year it came out and... I'm sure it was a one litre. Oh, my God. You could have walked quicker. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I was driving around it, and I took it on the high-speed bowl for a laugh. I was like, wow. <laughs> it took nearly a lap of the high-speed bowl to sort of get it to 60. Oh, no. It, it was horrible. That sounds and I'm, dangerous. Yeah, that's, that's another thing. I think, as well, underpowered cars are dangerous. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, it's got to be the B. Yeah, the one lit one litre engine in either the Adam or the um, or the Corsa because yeah it's just why would you opt for that engine just try something different don't do it to yourself <laughs> okay then um, this one is open to any interpretation but what car would you like to own next okay my own personal car that I want to own next I always had the I always had the idea I really want a 370Z um, but for the money I can afford um, it's probably going to be a five year old one and the tax is really high on them 
the running cost don't matter so much because well the fuel cost doesn't matter so much because I rarely use it. It'd be but, sat on the drive, uh, so that's immaterial. Much. <laughs> it's just a trophy <laughs> on the drive. But um, yeah, so the the tax puts me off, and the thing is, if I'm getting a five year old one, I know they're pretty much bulletproof, but things could go wrong. So anyway, I've been keeping an eye, and I'm going back to Peugeot again. <laughs> oh dear. I uh, know. <laughs> But um, I really like the look of the RCZR, and the money they've lost is scary. They've lost pretty much half their value in two years. So I have a friend I... who owns one and bought one recently, and um, they're not massively my cup of tea. I mean, it has mm. a bottom for a roof, for starters. <laughs> um, but I can see the appeal having driven briefly in it, I can mm. I can see the appeal of you get a you know, again cliche clang on uh, clacks and alert here, but an awful lot of car for the money. Yeah, I mean it's it's near enough to something break. I know it's front wheel drive, which people well Johnny Edge argues front and rear wheel drive doesn't matter. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I know it's still, uh, yeah, true. Yeah, I know. Well, I said to him that we need to have words about it. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, I know it's front wheel drive, and but for for the performance, and I've always loved the RCZ. It just was a bit too feminine. I think the R really nails that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be an RCZ. I just need to wait for a nice one owner in white to come up, and then yeah, I'll be I'll be handing over money. <laughs> all all cars should be white. <laughs> Only if they have a light blue U and N on the side. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so because I, I promised I wasn't going to talk in this bit, um, That's right. uh, or comment anyway. So, what's your favourite road to drive on? Um, I don't, I don't know what it's called, but um, last year I went on a like a celebration because it had been however many years I think. Uh, what is it? Been twenty? Yeah, twenty years since the trophy came out. Ten years. <laughs> Ten years since the clear trophy came don't out. Don't age me more than you already do, please. <laughs> So um, a load of us from the Clio Trophy Forum um, met up in Wales and we went for a blast around some incredible roads around Wales all day. Um, we done the Evo Triangle, obviously, um, but apart from that, we went through like a nature reserve, which was just incredible. It's like gated. Mm-hmm. We went through there and yeah, some of the roads in Wales are just absolutely incredible, just massively long and flowing and yep. it's like being in, a, in another country. So yeah, I have no idea, but roads in Wales... Most of them are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was lucky enough to live there in my early car years, so mm-hmm. I was, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that my parents still live that way, so I can go and visit them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, then, right. What is the most pointless optional extra you've had the misfortune to experience? Again, I really racked my brains to try and think of anything, but I couldn't think of anything, so I'll just do something that I hate. And it's heated steering wheels. I just don't like them. They just make your hands like clammy and horrible. And yeah, I had one in um, what was it the Jag Jag X KRS? It, it that had one, and it was a suede steering wheel, Alcantara, and it had a heated steering wheel. And your hands just ended up getting so sweaty, and the wheel was sweaty, and it was just horrible. So yeah, I'm going to say heated steering wheels. Okay. <laughs> um, who do you think we should talk to? After speaking to you, um, you've probably already got Phil down, or you've probably already done Phil. <laughs> no, I, he has been recommended by uh, Mr. Johnny the Edge, and he was on okay. the list already. 
Okay. Um. In apart from that, Colton, Colton Boyce, definitely. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Ethan, uh, Ethan Jupp. He's um. Yeah. So opinionated and would be an absolute laugh. Um. So yeah, definitely Ethan. Okay. I will add Ethan to the list, and then I will start bothering him soon. <laughs> I will, Good. I will, as uh, Mr. Goy said, I will release the Badger. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Um. So if after this uh, conversation of me just abusing you for um, the length of time I have, and thank you very much for allowing that. Um, <laughs> if people want to uh, follow what you do or get in touch, what would be the best ways to do that? Um, okay, so go onto the website, carwitter.com. You can get us on Twitter, and we are car underscore witter on there because, yeah, someone did actually have carwitter. So, yeah, get in contact with us on there. If you want to chat to us, we've actually got live chat on the website. So you press the little chat box. You can talk directly to me or one of the guys. Got any motoring questions or anything like that, we can get back to you pretty much straight away. Ooh, technology. Yeah, they're the best ways to get in contact. We've got Facebook, Instagram, all things like that. That's just under carwitter. But yeah, the main outlet is uh, is Twitter. Okay, well, I'll, I'll have the links in the show note that people can click directly through then. Um, so thank you once again for coming on. I've really had a, a great time, um, and it's and it's interesting to have heard uh, where you got the idea for Carl Witter and what's the what's the philosophy behind it, and uh, and the fact that you are actively looking to uh, improve and move it on uh, to the next stage. Um, so you know, thank you very much for coming on and, sp- and speaking to me about this. No problem. Thanks for having us. Hopefully I didn't waffle too much. <laughs> no, no, don't worry. You've listened to our show. You know, we are not uh, adverse to waffle on the show. <laughs> well, thanks again. No problem. Thanks very much. Thanks once again to Adam for coming on Rearview and chatting to me. I hope you found that as fascinating as I did. If you want to suggest someone who you think we should talk to on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearViewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see us in motoring podcast towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news and opinions, go try our sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Please don't forget to leave a review and rating on iTunes or however your podcast app lets you do that. It really does matter to me and it matters to the show. So until next time, that was Adam Tudor Lane. I've been Andrew Clues and safe motoring. <laughs>